Well, good morning, Radiant Bible Church. Uh, Here we are. It is week three of Digital Church Together. And uh, four weeks ago, I never thought I would ever be saying something like that in my life. But here we are. And it is just a joy and a delight to be with you. And uh, we're here together uh, to grow in our Lord. I just want to say on behalf of myself, on behalf of my wife Karen, on behalf of the pastors, the elders, the staff here, um, we just want you to know how much we miss you. Uh, Seeing you in person, uh, being here together, it is something we greatly miss. And frankly, I trust that you are missing it as well. Um, There's something about this time that just reminds us and instills in us the joy of being together as a faith family. Uh, Know this, you are being prayed for, and you are being prayed for daily. Um, As Pastor Cody mentioned earlier, if there's any prayer requests, please go and and fill out that connection card. Uh, Let us know on those as well. If there's any special needs that you might have, I also just want to note as well, uh, send an email to church at radiantbiblechurch.org, and uh, we would love to get that to the right people and to serve you well during this time. Well, as you know, we began this year with a new church name, Radiant Bible Church. If you haven't been by, it is now on our building, and it is an exciting thing to behold uh, with what God is doing. And what we're doing is we're taking through this year, we're taking these three words, and we're doing series on each of them. And so right now, we're with the first word, and that first word, obviously, is radiant. And what we are doing is we are seeking to grasp the greatness of our radiant God, our glorious God, our marvelous God, and uh, that's what we are doing. And so far, from Scripture, uh, we've come to see that our God is, here's a list of these, if you can see these on the screen here, our God is triune, eternal, self-existent, self-sufficient, all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing. Our God is holy. Our God is unchanging. He is creator. He is covenant maker. He is sovereign. He is faithful. And then last Sunday was kind of the change-up pitch in in the whole series. Our, Our God is seen. And uh, we're going to continue on this here for another couple months with it. But know this, uh, as I talked about the other Sunday, these are not whack-a-mole attributes, if that image helps you any. It's not the kind of thing that God's uh, uh, intrinsic nature of who he is, all of this and the things we're yet to take on, it is not that God takes what's handy at the time and puts it up and pops it out and the others drop away. That is not who God is. Truth of the matter is, is that is who we are. Yet our God is these all the time, all the time. There has never, not ever been a moment, not a nanosecond, when our God has not been all of who he is. And we hold on to that and we take great delight in that. And by the way, that includes that our God is all of who our God is right now. Right now. Right now, in a time of a world pandemic, our God is all this. Right now, in a time, and even in our country, where we're kind of in an economic shutdown. And by the way, that includes our God is 
all of these, all the time, even when we go through things like lost income or a lost job, when we can no longer meet with our classmates in high school or junior high or college, it's no longer, or when we can no longer um, have a time of gathering, even I think of the seniors in high school, seniors in college who are wondering, am I even going to have a graduation? Are we going to have a prom? I even think of the fact for those who are uh, looking at their 401ks and they're thinking of retirement or in retirement and wondering, like, what's up? Know this, our God is all of these all the time. There is never not a moment when our God is not all of who he is. By the way, uh, as an aside, before I get going a little further today, I've, uh, in light of everything that's been taking place, I, last Sunday, last week and this week, gave serious thought about stepping out of this series and uh, maybe talking about some of the things at hand and how to think about them and process them. Last week and the week before, as I'm thinking through this, two things came to mind. Number one, there are pastors who are teaching on the subject of how to deal with our present circumstances that frankly are far more equipped and better teaching than I am, and they're available to you. And I want to kind of commend them to you. Uh, Here's in fact a few that I might just mention as we come along talking directly into what's kind of taking place in our world. One is David Platt from McLean Bible Church out in Washington, D.C. He just did uh, at least this last two sermons were on peace in the middle of a pandemic, Uh, David Platt. Another, Matt Chandler, Village Church, last Sunday he talked on Opportunity Knocks. Another, Moody Church, a couple Sundays ago, Pastor Erwin Lutzer uh, talked on what to do when you don't know what to do. In fact, last Sunday I was seeing that Ed Stetzer at Moody Church talked on fear less. Uh, Just two more. Vance Pittman, uh, maybe someone you're not familiar with from Hope Church in Las Vegas. Uh, Isaiah 41.10, he talked on this last Sunday, unshakable promises and kind of relating that to our present situations. And just a special friend of mine who is called my Canadian twin, Norm Miller, Redemption Bible Church in Ontario, Canada, Um, He's done uh, some teaching on this, and he has right now in a series, When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, man, there are great resources available for all of us to be able to lean into, and I want to commend them to you and lean into them. Secondly, as I'm thinking, should I step out of this series, I'm being reminded of one of my very favorite texts in all of Scripture, Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples are in the boat with Jesus. An unexpected storm hits into their lives. They're fearing, literally, that they are going to die. They see Jesus asleep in the boat, and they respond to him in their situation, in their fear, in their wondering. They accuse him of not caring. Now, think about that. What they are doing is not understanding who the Lord is. 
and it's in their moment of what's going on around them, they lose sight of who God is. In that scenario, Jesus stands up and he speaks to the waves, he speaks to the wind and stops it all, and then he turns to them, oh my, I bet they were shaking in their boots at that moment, and then he turns to them and he says, hey guys, uh, where is your faith? What is Jesus doing? Jesus is going, listen, guys, in the scenario, you have lost grasp of who I am. You, you, you have lost your ability to trust that, listen, when I said we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. And so as a result of the great teaching that's available out there and as a result of just, I think, in a time of stress, wondering what's going on, the most important thing we could have at hand right now is to take some time together and remind ourselves of exactly who God is. So I just want for you to know, this is why I'm staying on what we are with the series. And today, our God is long-suffering. Not short-suffering, long-suffering. And I want for you to know this. My goal today is simply this. I just want to get this subject started for you. I want to prime the pump in understanding our God's long-suffering and getting you to think on this And I'm actually going to give you a homework assignment at the end. We'll get to that. Let me pray just for a moment. God, I just ask for your help right now as we dive into who you are. This is a time with life going on where we need to remember exactly who you are. And one of the coolest things about even today, in your sovereignty, here we are on long suffering, and yet we are living in our homes with one another who we should be long-suffering with. So all of this is amazingly applicable. So we just pray you would do a work in our hearts and our minds and in our homes and in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our God is long-suffering. As I have sat on this subject this week, getting ready for today, The long-suffering of God, the longer I spent with it, the more my response is like the gal you see here. Just thank you, God, for your long-suffering. Why is that? Well, let's dig into it. Long-suffering, what does it mean? Uh, Simply, it is the opposite of short-suffering. Um, um, it means to have forbearance. Now, there's kind of an old English sound, forbearance to it. In fact, the Puritan, Stephen Charnock, summarizes God's long-suffering as he bears with the sin, forbearance. Another word that could be used is to endure. It's as in restraining that which is rightly due. It's, It's putting up with. Hey, let's say this. In our homes this week, We need to be growing and putting up with one another. That's long-suffering, forbearance, to endure. Two scripture terms that are used uh, to reference long-suffering. Number one is slow to anger. Think about that. Slow to anger. Another term that's used in scripture to summarize all this up is patience. Now, there's a word that we all struggle with, right? And here's the cool thing. Our God doesn't struggle with it at all. Because our God is long 
suffering. He is slow to anger. He is patient. He endures with us. He forbears us. In fact, Arthur Pink references God's long-suffering as this, as the power of control which God exercises over himself, causing him to bear with the wicked and forbear so long in punishing them. It carries this idea to refrain from what is rightly due. That's slow to anger. To refrain from what is rightly due. Jen Wilkin in her book, In the Image, says, the slow anger of God is miraculous to the extreme. God's patience implies expectancy. He is waiting for resolution. The objects of his forbearance will not remain a source of frustration forever. Patiently, he is working in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. And she finishes, patiently, he is working all things together for our good and for his glory. What a great word of encouragement. Our God is long-suffering. He bears with us extensively lengthy. If I were to say it in the context kind of of looking at redemptive history of mankind, I might state it this way. During this time of redemptive history, the long-suffering nature of our God is manifested as an enduringly long willingness to remain engaged with sinful mankind. It is manifested, again, as an enduringly long willingness to remain engaged with sinful mankind. And I respond like my friend here. Thank you, God, for your long suffering. Well, let's read it. Open your Bibles to Psalm 86. Right about smack dab in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 86. I'm going to read the whole psalm. There's actually one verse that we'll narrow in on, but let me read the psalm. You follow along. It's a prayer of David. The psalmist says this, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am, I might say it this way, I am a Yahweh pursuer. Save your servant who trusts in you, You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations have made, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. 
Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth, united my heart uh, to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for it is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. Here's the verse, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. It's long-suffering. You, God, are long-suffering and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me, God. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. What a great psalm and, and narrowing in on verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, long-suffering, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. By the way, do you see the whole package of, of these intrinsic elements, these intrinsic attributes of who our God is? And I'll note this. We've already talked about how God is faithful Uh, We are going to be talking about how God is mercy and God is grace and God is love. And packaged within this package of these is the slow to anger, is this patience, is this idea of God's long suffering. It's all within that. But know this, they are not all synonyms of the exact same thing. That's why we're going to be going into each of those and seeing and understanding because this isn't like the same thing said in different words. This is actually the full package of all who God is. So right now as we're talking about God's long suffering, there's so many other things I could be talking about, in it, but in it we're holding there because we're going to be adding all these other things to it. And right now we're narrowed in on God is long suffering. Thank God for that. Thank you, Lord, that that is the God that you are. By the way, since we're here in the Psalms, turn over to one, over, one other Psalm, Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I want to read the first 14 verses of this Psalm. And again, we'll narrow in on a verse that really is repeating, in essence, what Psalm 86.15 was saying. Let me read Psalm 103, verses 1 through 14. This also is of David. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see this? David's preaching at himself. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. David is reminding himself of who God is, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice. By the way, that's next Sunday. The Lord is just. 
and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. In other words, long-suffering and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He's speaking to the believer here, David. David is repeating, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. I love that. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. The God who knows who we are, who knows our frame, who knows the reality of us as broken people before a holy God. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, long-suffering with us. His manifested willingness to continually move on in engaging with us, and not only engaging with us, but calling us to abide with him. Keep in mind, that does not mean that God will not deal with mankind's sin. Keep in mind that God's long-suffering is not saying that God will never deal with the sinfulness of mankind. In fact, two verses uh, put on the plate for you. You can just note these down. One is Numbers 14, 18. It says, The Lord is long-suffering and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but... He will by no means clear the guilty. Another one, Nahum. Yes, there is a book in the Bible called Nahum. Uh, go to the context, find where that is. But let me just read it. Nahum 1, 3. It says, The Lord is long-suffering and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. The Lord is long-suffering, but that does not mean that God does not deal with sin. And yet, we are rejoicing in the fact of the Lord's long-suffering. Hey, by the way, this week, uh, you and I got some good news from our government. We got the good news of this. 2019 taxes are deferred until July 15th. That means that the government established the guideline that, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to defer taxes for three months. And we go, thank you for that. And yet in that, know this, deferring of taxes, here's the bad news. There is still a due date. There is still a time upon which those taxes are due. Uh, 
Our God is long-suffering. He has deferred full payment for sin. But payment time is coming. And that raises a question. What's your plan for payment time? What is your plan for, if I could say, the Revelation 20, end of the chapter, the time when an account is given? You see, God is long-suffering. And in the long-suffering, we can take advantage of that. And just think, well, God is going to just uh, not pay attention to. No, no, no. God in his patience, in his slow to anger, in his long-suffering, he has provided a period of time, a season of life, if you will, a season of redemptive history upon which he has, in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, is long-suffering through it. And yet, know this, friend, I cannot leave this subject today without noting the fact that deferring the reality of at the moment does not mean that there is not a full accounting for later. And and the question is, is at this moment is, is what is your salvation plan? If you know Christ as your Savior, if there has come a time where you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior during his long suffering over redemptive history and his coming and his paying the payment of which you and I should have paid, but God in the flesh paid that payment and makes that available to all who would receive and to those who understand that they are sinners separated from a holy God, that he has provided a means for me to be covered by the work of Christ and when I receive the work of Christ, I am covered. The tax payment is covered. We came to the end of this year and we came to realize we have some taxes to owe that we owe that we pay. That time is coming. I'm grateful it's been delayed. But that time is coming. It's where even with the deferring of it, There has to be a plan on the covering of it. And in God's long suffering over time, I fear that we have taken uh, some of this as almost to advantage to where we miss the gloriousness of what God is doing. God is deferring what should be paid now. And as many as received him, them he gave the right to become children of God, for our sins are covered. If you don't know Christ is your Savior, even though God in his long suffering during this period of time, there is a payment time. I would urge you and I would call you, come to see his long suffering Because know this, why is God doing the long-suffering? 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9, it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill the promise as some count slowness, but is patient, is slow to anger, is long-suffering toward us. Why? Because he is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In God's long-suffering, we can sit back and go, Why is God waiting so long? Because God, in his long suffering, is wishing that none would not repent. 
great news, great hope, great encouragement in the fact that our God is long-suffering. We've seen that in Psalm 89. We've seen that in Psalm 103. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us now to just take some time to consider God's long-suffering. And I'd like for us to first consider it in the past, and then we'll take a look in the present. Let's consider uh, God's long-suffering in the past. By the way, you don't have to turn to passages of Scripture. I just want you to think with me, okay? So just join me in a thinking process. I'm going to bring some long-suffering in the past times. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Long-suffering in Eden. Adam and Eve's sin. They're held accountable before God. The world becomes broken because of sin. Mankind becomes broken because of sin. And here's a question to ask. Why didn't the Godhead just go, let's end it here? Let's just end it here right now. Ultimately, the Godhead decided that because it would be to the Godhead's glory that they didn't end it. And part of that is showing God's long-suffering in who God is. Here in Eden, Adam and Eve sin. I'm telling you, if I were God, I would have just said, done, over, we're out with this whole plan. But yet God, in his long-suffering, is willing to endure even with the sinful mankind over redemptive history in Eden. Let's think long-suffering in the past at the flood. In Genesis 6, God tells us that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil continually. By the way, the text just stacks it up there in it. It's like the every intention of the thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil continuously. So I step back and go, God, in your righteous, holy justice, bring it to an end. And God could have. And yet God in it decided in his sovereign plan over redemptive history, uh, here's the thing that people miss oftentimes, that instead of God delivering that call to bring the flood, the righteous justice poured out on mankind, instead of God doing that right then, God actually waited for another hundred plus years for the flood. Why? Because God is long-suffering. And because 2 Peter 3.9, God wishes that none would perish. It's interesting. So often we think of Noah as just the ark builder. But Noah was also a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2.5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, during this period of time when God said, I'm going to bring judgment, during this time, God says, I am going to delay, I'm going to defer for a hundred plus years. And while uh, Noah and his family is building this floating zoo on the ground uh, without any water on it, around it, uh, during this time, what is happening? Noah is proclaiming repent. 
And yet, a God who is all-knowing knows that through all this time, even when it comes 100 plus years later, there is no one else that is going to join them on the boat. And yet, God still waits. Why? Because our God is long-suffering. That's who our God is. It's not that justice, it's not that righteous judgment is not going to come. God, in his long suffering, remember, it was a, a hundred years earlier before the flood that God said mankind was evil all the time, continuously. There was like not a nanosecond where mankind was not in a really bad place of sin. And yet God waited. By the way, it's talking about even something like the flood that reminds me of something I missed last Sunday. Last Sunday we were talking about how God is seen, and we were in the scene as part of it in Revelation 4 and 5. And when we talk about the ark and the flood, oftentimes, well, let's just say it this way. The scene on earth gets to where people hear of the flood, read of the flood, and kind of the scene on earth is that mankind kind of questions, fusses and cusses at God. Like, how could God do that? That's kind of the scene on earth. It was so interesting. Last Sunday, we're in Revelation 4 and 5. What's the scene in heaven? The scene in heaven in redemptive history is a scene to where the Father is on the throne, the the 24 presbyteros, the, the heavenly angels, they are like, have this unique seat where they are seeing what God is doing every moment of redemptive history. And I think part of why the, 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 the presbyteros are taking their crowns off in every moment, 24-7, 365, even though there's no time in heaven, in, in the whole of it all, is, is giving glory to God because they are sitting there going, oh my goodness, look at what God is doing, and they're giving praise constantly, all the time. The scene in heaven is praising God for how crazy amazing God is, and I go back to the Old Testament and Genesis at the flood, and I think the heavens are sitting back going, are you kidding me? God is going to wait a hundred plus years. I never would have thought of that. I never would have done that ever in my life, and the heavens are giving God praise for his plans and his purposes, and yet then we come to the scene on earth, and oftentimes we see in the same thing where the earth scene is that human beings are kind of fussing and cussing at God. How could you? Why would you? That's not right. That's not fair. Could I just say this as we think about this whole thing of God's long suffering? Who has the better seat? You see, the, the heavenly beings have this amazing opportunity to see what God is unfolding. We're in it. We're experiencing it. And we have a harder time knowing exactly what God is doing even like a time like right now. And I would call us, I would encourage us, think from a heavenly seat, not an earthly seat. Because God in his long suffering is doing something, friends. Let me just 
kind of speed it up a couple other things to consider. God is long-suffering in Eden, at the flood, just with the nation. So God promises through Abraham, to Abraham, that he would raise up a nation of priests to the world. And years go by, decades go by. We come to Exodus chapter 19 after God brings the Hebrews out of Egypt who have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. We don't see a nation yet. We don't see a priest, group of priests yet. And yet we come to Exodus 19 and God covenants himself to them, asking for their covenanting themselves to him that he would raise them up as a nation of priests. And then we kind of go the rest of the Old Testament I think the story of the Old Testament could be summed up in one word, unfaithfulness. We just see God's people unfaithful. I mean, there are times of faithfulness, no question about it, but there is this ongoing moving story of mankind's unfaithfulness to God, and yet God hangs in there with them. You even come to the Gospels, and it's the same thing. God, the second person of the Trinity, puts his feet on the ground to die on the cross for us, and the very people that God covenanted himself to to become a nation of priests to the world reject the Messiah. And yet, God puts up with. In fact, I'll just, looking back at the past, I'll just note this one last one. Long-suffering with Judas. Jesus Christ is on earth for three years. One of his disciples is going to sell him out. And not just sell him out for some cash, but sell him out for some cash that he would be murdered like a criminal. And, uh, And the worst kind of death possible. And by the way, all the time, Jesus knows that this dude with him, that he involves in his team, that he does ministry with, allows to hear him, see him, watch him, all three years, Jesus endures the fact of Judas is going to betray him. How did he do that? Answer. Because our God is long-suffering. He puts up with. He endures. That's the past. Just quickly, let me note this. Our God's long-suffering in the present. Our God's long-suffering in the present with us. That's me, that's you, that's us. Here we are, living in a world filled with sin and evil. Ephesians 2.1 talks about how it's sins upon sins piled up. Add to that the fact that those of us who know Christ as our Savior, here we are living out as men and women, young men and women, living out what Paul talks about in Romans 7. It's like redeemed in Christ... And I want to do what's right. But it's like I can't. Can you relate? I want to do what the Lord would want me to do. But it's just like, why do I 
not. And I ask myself, Why does our God bear with us? Why does our God endure with us? Why doesn't he just deal his anger full out, righteously, justly? Why is our God so crazy patient with us? Why does our God put up with an earthly scene of people who, in even the present setting, whether verbally or silently, fuss and cuss with our God? Why? I join my friend and I go, Thank you, God. That you are long-suffering. Thank you. And here we are. People even kind of forced to spend more time together at home. Tighter with our own family. we can lose our cool. And we can struggle to endure and to bear with. We can struggle to be slow to anger. We tend to be short in suffering with people. And yet our God is long-suffering. My goal here today was to get you thinking, was to prime the pump on the subject, was to kind of get the ball rolling as it has to do with just considering that our God is crazy, amazing, and putting up with us. And that should, out of us, just naturally bring a response of thankfulness, of praise, of, oh God, thank you for putting up with me. And I hope this has primed that pump. So here's what I have for you to give to you for this week. Listed on the sermon notes page are some passages of Scripture. There's Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is a pretty lengthy psalm. Uh, it's there for you to be able to spend some time digging into it. it. Basically, Psalm 78 is what we were talking about in seeing God's long-suffering in the past. It's recollecting much of what God had done as the psalmist looks back upon redemptive history like we did earlier. Psalm 78. Then I have a number of verses 
Proverbs 14, 29, Proverbs 15, 18, Proverbs 16, 32, Proverbs 19, 11, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Romans 15, 5, Colossians 3, 12, and 13, James 1, 19 through 20. Again, those are on the sermon notes page. You can uh, pick off there on the screen. I wanted to put these so that you and I as individuals and even as families can lean into this long-suffering reality of our God. I want to encourage you, maybe families, to grab those verses and and read them together uh, if you're at home with some others. Or or maybe Skype with a friend. Call a friend and talk about some of these verses. Read them. Talk about them. Talk about the truth of long-suffering. Pray together over it. Talk about how is it that we as individuals, that we as families, can be long-suffering with one another during this time right now. So it's there for you to dive into and dig into. I hope today was the time to prime the pump. Our God is long-suffering. Thank you, God. And let's continue leaning into that and seeing how we are to be image-bearers of our God as individuals and families and a people who suffer long with others through life. Lord, I pray that that would be the case. I pray that you would help us to grasp the greatness of your long suffering. Oh, the patience you have with us. And Lord, for us, it's like we can't even, we struggle to be patient in a moment of a season where we're told to sit down and stay at home. I ask God that this time would be a sweet time, a time of coming alongside you and seeing you and your long-suffering and your beauty. And God, giving praise to you for your patience with us, for your enduring with us, for your slow anger to us, for your forbearance with us. And God, I pray we would just grab a hold of that in worship. I pray that we would grow in being more like you as individuals who live more like our Savior. Living as ones who are long suffering with others. In your name I pray. Amen.